Preet Banerjee is here, the guy behind Money Gaps. He's a personal finance commentator and joins us every Wednesday on The Morning Brief. Nice to have you, sir. Good morning, sir. Can we quickly unpack, since you're the finance guy, the uh, inflation rate yesterday, and that was beyond good news. We're now within target. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, across multiple measures as well. So a lot of people are saying, let's just take a moment and realize how far we've come um, from the rate of inflation that we have had for such a long time. So it feels like we're starting to see some reprieve. But I do have to remind people that you know, with inflation being under 3% doesn't mean that prices go back down. It just means they keep on increasing at a rate that economists are kind of expecting it to increase. But you know, when you consider we were at, uh, what, 8.3, about uh, 18 months ago, uh, and then everybody said, we got to do something about this. It's, uh, it's good news. It is, absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot of people are sort of uh, breathing a sigh of relief. And now we're actually starting to hear people talk about, okay, so, so what are we going to do about rates next? I don't know if I want to start making predictions on that. Let's just take this uh, as a little bit of a win right now. Inflation is back down to targets. That debacle hopefully is behind us. Yeah, my bet would be on the third quarter, but let's see. <laughs> Toronto is set to raise parking fines. I don't know that there's a lot of um, angst or sympathy when it comes to parking fines. You know, pay, put some money in the green pea or pay your price. Yeah, absolutely. And just as a point of reference, so I think a lot of listeners know by now that I live in London, England. Um, let me tell you what the parking fines are here. Uh, it's $275 Canadian equivalent if we're even veering into a cycle lane, uh, let alone parking in one. It's $140 if you go over time at a meter and $220 if you park where you're not supposed to. So you could argue that Toronto still has a way to go in terms of being you know, world-class city with world-class parking fines. I find it uh, interesting, and it just tells you how things are changing, that uh, a new fine will apply to anybody who parks in a charging station but is not actually charging their car. And that's just about, you know, the adoption of electric cars and hybrid cars. Yeah, and I think the reality is as more and more people buy electric vehicles and there are more and more circulating through the city, if you are parking in a spot that has a charging port, and you're not charging your car, uh, that could present a, a problem. And if we're trying to get the city moving again, uh, which you've been trying to do for, I don't know, decades, <laughs> uh, that's one more problem that we're going to potentially have to deal with. The provincial conservatives are kind of trying to corner Bonnie Crombie, the new liberal leader, on the carbon tax because everybody hates it. And she kind of gave a non-answer yesterday. Also still mulling over trying to win a seat in Milton. But it was her first day at school kind of yesterday. I don't know how you feel she did or if you saw much of it. Well, you know, I think that the, this approach, the strategy might be just trying to buy some time to see how much importance voters will place on carbon pricing with respect to their voting. Obviously, people are very vocal about it. Uh, a lot of people are talking about it. The feds just did a big rebranding, and I think that that rebranding might actually make the links a little bit more clear between how this program works in terms of the extra costs and then what the carbon rebate is all about. Because most households, when we're talking like 80% of households, will get more in rebates than what they spend on the carbon price that they put on different fuels. It's 
So I think that has been lost uh, in sort of some of the rhetoric. It's really all about slogans and catchphrases, very politicized, and less about the numbers. But maybe they're taking a wait and see approach with this rebrand to see, okay, you know, maybe there are some people who are in support of it. Uh, let's actually get a better temperature before we decide to make a position on this. The Law and Order television franchise arrives in Toronto. I mean, they've already finished shooting the first season, but the first episode airs tomorrow. Are you going to get all nostalgic? and uh, check out to see if you can see the CN Tower, which you can. I've already seen it. Uh, yeah, listen, I absolutely love it when TV shows and movies show you a glimpse or even mention, um, you know, anything to do with Toronto. I think there was an Avengers movie where at one point Robert Downey Jr. mentioned Toronto when they're trying to figure out where all the Infinity Stones were and whatnot. But there is something about seeing familiar city sites when you're watching a blockbuster or something like that. And again, living in London, there are so it's so much more noticeable because many blockbusters and spy thrillers always seem to take place in London more than they do in Toronto. So having more Toronto exposure, I think, would be awesome. Uh, I know that the the series uh, Jack Reacher, the, the TV show, they shoot in Toronto, and sometimes they don't do a great job hiding that fact. And The Boys, which is a super popular show, you can see so many Canadian um, or Toronto landmarks because it is principally shot in Toronto, and I love that stuff. Actually, it's almost entirely shot at Roy Thompson Hall. It's hilarious yes. how many... <laughs> ways they manipulate that place in yes, order to exactly. have it pretend to be the interior at City Hall, some corporate headquarters. And just for the record, Preet, I actually shot for a day on the boys and I got cut out. No! Oh, <laughs> no. I, and I remember I've seen you in a bunch of, uh, you know, movies and stuff over the years. And I was like, hey, that's John Moore. I love seeing it. So whether it's a landmark, be a physical landmark or a human landmark like yourself, I'm all for it. So shoppers on the Canadian side of the border are absolutely appalled to discover that milk is much cheaper in the United States. And of course, it all comes down to this supply management system, which some people may decry, but it actually guarantees farmers uh, a certain ability to make a living, even if it makes milk more expensive. Right. And so, again, the question is, do voters care enough to change their vote? Because this is an issue that always sort of threatens to become an issue. I think, you know, the conservative leadership campaign, a lot of jockeying had to do with the positions on supply management. And so it's very calculated in the positions that they take in terms of getting support from different voting blocks. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the voters. Do the voters care enough to make this an issue in elections? And I don't think that we do. And unfortunately, the side effect is you have to leave, lead with the, live with this price differential. Although the thing is in the States, and nobody ever emphasizes this, the dairy industry is very heavily subsidized. So you may pay more for milk in Canada, but in the States, you're just paying for it in taxes. Right. Yeah. So that's another way of looking at it as well. And, you know, in different countries around the world, it seems like things have completely different costs. So again, you know, look at everything seems to be more expensive here in the UK. Uh, the few exceptions are groceries, which seems to be very cheap uh, in terms of produce and cell phone plans. Um, and uh, yeah, there's some regional disparities that can be explained through subsidies and different policies that are in place, which are not easy to sort of see at the price register. And NATO is kind of laying down the law, expecting Canada to actually provide a timeline for when we're going to meet our defense spending target of 2%. 
Yeah, at some point, someone's going to have to ask, you know, you keep saying that you're going to make this commitment and you're going to reach your target. And I don't think it is uh, bad of NATO to say, okay, when? Because you've been saying this for a while now. You've talked about this a lot. You, you say that you have all this support and you've made this promise. When are you going to actually fulfill that promise? So I think it is fair and right for NATO to ask for a deadline. Although, you know, a lot of other countries kind of cook the books in order to get to 2%. They're not necessarily buying tanks. Sometimes they're just right. around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but no matter what sort of the, the rationale is, I think what we're looking for is some kind of transparency. And if everyone else is cooking the books in the same way to hit that target, then I guess we I would sort of say, ourselves. why don't we do that too? <laughs> <laughs> this is from the personal finance commentator. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hey, listen. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> Good to have you. That is Preed Banerjee. You can check him out at Money Gaps.